When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's safe to say the last few weeks of the F1 season has been uh, pretty entertaining, unbelievable, shocking, and the list of words just keeps flowing on. Here to help me sort of dive into some of this stuff. From SDPN, it's Adam Wild. Adam, how you doing, man? Man, I, I I think I think that this week has been more interesting than the entire year last year. And it's not to say a lot of people called last year boring, and I get it. But boy, uh, I don't think anything that happened last year can compare to even one of the stories, starting with like Andretti being uh, stopped from F one at least for now. So I, I yeah, um, obviously, obviously the big news this week is not Andretti though. No, let's start. Uh, it's Christian Horner, Red Bull Racing. Uh, let's dive into it real quick. There's only so much that we do know at this moment. And uh, from what we do know, Christian Horner is being investigated. And this was actually reported by Eric Van Heren from The Telegraph. Eric, on this show a few weeks ago, uh, inappropriate behavior, uh, misconduct uh, within Red Bull Racing. What has gone down we don't know um there is very little in terms of details as to what has actually happened within all of this adam um but it was interesting uh, before we came on to record today uh, a journalist in formula one who works for uh, motorsport total um christian nimmerville actually put out a pretty interesting piece in how sort of Jos Verstappen and Bernie Ecclestone kind of fit within infighting that's that's happening behind the scenes at this team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is stuff that we sort of got, we got wind of in terms of rumors a few days ago, but this is all sort of new stuff that's just getting flushed out and whether or not how factually, you know, accurate all of it is. I mean, Christian is pretty plugged in with the F1 paddock, Adam. But well, I, I it, this I'm is like, this is kind of saying. Sorry to cut you off. This no. is kind of saying that it, 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 it's in German that translated over into English. But essentially, it's kind of saying that there's a lot of infighting between Horner and and Marco and Horner and uh, Jos Verstappen, uh, Max Verstappen's dad as well. Well, I, I I instantly saw that and I'm like, oh, Verst- Jos Verstappen and and. Um, helmet Marco, two guys who are known for working well with others. Um, like I just, I kind of was, I was sitting there going like, of course there's a power play going on here. And and if you read, I I always go back to this book, um, Mark Weber's book on his time, well, in, in formula one, but specifically at Red Bull with Sebastian Vettel, it really gives you a great 
insight into the Helmet Marco Christian Horner relationship. Helmet Marco was, uh, uh, you know, a a guy who was really tight with Dietrich Mateschitz, who you know obviously was the head of Red Bull, founder of Red Bull. Um, and also the guy who headed up the Young Driver program, of which the first great graduate was Sebastian Vettel. And, you know, Mark outlines his view on how things were going and how at that time Helmut Marco had far more power at the team, even though he wasn't an official member of Red Bull Racing, uh, than Christian Horner did. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all, Tim, that there's some sort of power play here. And there's got to be, you know, I, I mean, I can understand the Verstappen Marco partnership because helmet Marco was the guy that got Verstappen to formula one, right? There's a long-term relationship. Did, didn't they pluck him out of nowhere at like, you know, 12, 13, something like that. It might even be earlier. Yeah. In so formula three, uh, like back in his formula three days. Yeah. So they're pushing. So the idea is like, listen, I don't know what Christian Horner did. I don't know what he's being investigated for. But it certainly seems like there's politics behind this, too. It could be that whatever he did, he needs to go for that separately. But I also don't think that there are there are certain members of this team, this faction, because uh, it is a factional team. There are politics at every office where they would be happy to see him go. But my question to you, Tim, is, OK, so he does go. Let's say he goes. Let's say they win. OK. Uh, or, you know, whatever Christian did is so bad that, that he needs to be removed from his position. Uh, what then? Because, you know, the, the thing that I'd be worried about if I'm, uh, if I'm the Verstappens is, okay, so now we've removed the team principal who's got us three championships in a row. And now what? We bring in our guy, but what if we don't achieve the results, Right. Yeah, well, I would say that at the at the end of it, I mean, you would have to take a look at Jonathan Wheatley, who mm-hmm. would be just underneath Christian Horner. He would probably be your next team principal up, maybe in an interim faction. Um, now, again, you know, like we're just guessing here at the moment. Sure. But that being said, you know, you're, you're you would move that individual into that position. But then at the same time, what happens with Adrian Newey? Because there are rumors that a lot of what Adrian has done and been a, been a part of at Red Bull was a big reason because of Christian Horner. And mm-hmm. if and Christian, there's those clauses in their deal? Um, apparently, like that's the rumor. It's not, nothing is confirmed. And if you're but listening to this and you don't Christian, know what we're talking about, the clauses are that, like, let's say it's Tim and I. If Tim lives leaves the t- the team, then I get to leave too, essentially, right? And it's vice versa. Essentially, yeah, yes, essentially. Um, but again, just rumors, so we don't really know at the moment. But outside of all that, you would have to think that if that were true, and Christian is having to step down and leave the team, then or fired, then you would assume that Adrian Newey would most likely go with him if those stories are true. And then on top of all that, I mean, that the team is at a, in terms of its strength on the sporting side and on the racetrack, I mean, very strong right now. And then you have all of this going on, all of the infighting. You have to wonder if that really kind of 
would take them out of a championship, would take them out of the entire season. Like you would have to, like there was just so much and so many layers to all this, Adam, so many mm-hmm. layers. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, again, factional infighting is no big, no big thing at Red Bull. It seems to be that tension that's always been between the two sides. Um, I think it's the Austrian side and the Salzburg side or something like that. There's a, there's, there's two contingents. I don't know. Like it's, it's, um, it, it's, Honestly, it's hard to sort out because, you know, there's just so much of it behind the scenes. Like, in fact, like I didn't even, I didn't even know that, you know, Horner and Helmut Marco and Jos Verstappen, I, I didn't even know that they weren't really getting on. And why wouldn't they be? Like, they're yeah. What was the reason that they fell out? Yeah, with the winning championships, like their star driver is being their star driver. They're their car is, you know, incredible piece of machinery. Like what else happened behind the scenes? That's what I well, would like to know. And, and that's what I would want to know. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I wonder, is this a, um, I mean, you, you wonder after last year where they win like 19 out of 22 races. Sorry, 21 out of 22 races <laughs> where, you know, Max wins like 18 or 19, whatever it was. Um, you wonder what can stop a team like that. This is the kind of thing that mm-hmm. can stop a team like that. This is the kind of thing where teams can be, it can be so good and so like, and, but, but factional infighting will blow the team apart. And, you know, we have, we have seen this before uh, in different iterations, not in exactly like this. I don't think anybody's ever had a season that comes close to as dominant as Red Bulls had, but I just feel like, um, you know, Christian Horner's allegations aside, cause we still don't know what they are. So it's difficult to speculate on that. If this team that's pushing him out wins um you know where does that leave the team like the team that's there like if you lose adrian newey forget christian horner i mean that's a sport where 90 percent of it is the engineering right and the reason the drivers get paid so much uh, and rightfully so is because they are the 10 percent, and the 10 percent is all the difference that you need i just you know i i worry for a guy like like imagine sergio perez right now how do you think he's feeling about that? Imagine Daniel Ricardo. Christian Horner has been your greatest champion. And you think that you're going to be on the Red Bull first team probably by the end of the year if you have a good season. Uh, what's he thinking right now? Uh, there's so many pieces that this affects. And it's just surprising because they put up a front last year like everybody's getting along. And yeah, sure, there's some inner team tension, but there is at every team. And now, man, Tim, I... I just feel like I'm I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is a mess. This is a disaster for them uh, right before the season starts. And maybe they still have a great car going into this year if you lose Newey and you lose Horner. But it's two, three, four years down the road. And you like Mercedes would jump on Newey in a second. McLaren would jump on everybody would he would be the most sought after non-driver on the paddock. If that guy becomes available, it's over. I think. One of the big things with with Nui and you know why he sort of left McLaren and and came over to Red Bull. Well, one was because of this uh, with technical matrix that McLaren had designed for all of its engineers and developers, and it just didn't work. And Adrian Nui didn't want to have anything a part of it. And coming over and working at Red Bull, one of the biggest things was Christian Horner just let him do what he wanted to do. If you wanted to use a pencil and draw on a draw on an easel, then that's what he, he go and do it. Whatever it is you need to do to make this car fast, have at it. 
and gave him free reign, let him do whatever he wanted to. Now, who knows if like, you know, another team would, would give him something like that. Who knows? Right. It's well, how could a, they not? How could they not after the, the results of last year? Well, again, right. Like there's, there's other things that other teams, you said it yourself. I mean, where it's like, you know, there's politics uh, up yeah. and down the paddock. There's politics internally. There's politics on the racetrack. It's, it's, it's scattered throughout the sport. Right. And so for, for Nui to just, you know, if he were to ever pick up and just leave or just quit or whatever, you know, I would say that there would be a lot of teams after him, but I don't know who knows if they give him what he, everything that he wants. And that includes like free reign to design the car that he wants to design. He wants speaking design. of cars, Adam. Yes. Speaking of cars, we got to see an actual F1 car, an actual 2024 F1 car on Wednesday. We finally yes. got to see it. Finally. Yes. Yes, we did. It was the Alpine A524. And I liked it. <laughs> well, they faked us out with the con- the camo. We can say that, right? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, you mean the all black, right? Like, a lot of the black that's mixed in with, with, with the Yeah, car? well, did you see the teaser come out on Instagram yesterday where there was, like, a pink camo? They had, like, a pink oh, camo nose? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and so yeah, everybody's yeah, like, oh, this is great. Yeah. They're going to do something different. And then, again, it's it's a – I mean, it's a more black car than it is a, was a blue car last year. But it's like <laughs> – uh, other than the pink streaks and a little bit of blue, like what's to differentiate it from the other carbon cars that we see out there? Yeah, good point. Let me see if I can uh, bring up uh, some images that uh, folks watching can can take a look. And for those of you uh, listening, we'll uh, talk a, l- a little bit more about this in uh, further and- detail as we uh, take a look at this car. Uh- Bear with you me, know, folks. I, sure. I, the, the other thing I want to know is, Tim, like with the Alpine mm-hmm. um, uh, car, is that the real race mm-hmm. car or is that just a car with the paint? Because so like nobody the reveals car. the real car before testing, do they? All right. Let me see. Let me know if you can see that. Yeah, you can see that perfectly. Perfect. Okay. So this is their, you know, this is the race car that's going to hit the track at testing and throughout the livery launches that we've seen so far. I mean, I traveled to New York for the, the Williams launch on Monday and that was just livery straight up, you know, livery. This is livery and the race car itself, what it looks like. And you can see from this design that Adam, it looks a hell of a lot like the RB 19. <laughs> Sure does, Tim. <laughs> now, okay, for anybody that, that doesn't pay like, close well, enough sure attention does. to that stuff, what parts of it are you referring to? Like, let's talk about this. So you've got, um, you know, let's let's talk side pods because that's been a big thing, side pods. What do we got there? Perfect example. They have this downwash section, and it's hard to see from this photo, but essentially it's like a giant gully that funnels air towards, you know, the back of the car, the diffuser, the floor, uh, and on top of all that, you know, you've got different suspension settings at the front. It's hard to see from this image. But again, this thing just resembles you know, a lot of what the RB19 looked like. Um, I'll see if I can grab another image on here mm-hmm. that I was able to get from the team. And we can take a closer look at 
some of it. Maybe this overhead shot here that I have, it's kind of like looking down mm -hmm. onto, um, onto the car. And I'll see here if we can zoom in a bit. There we go. That'll work. All right. Sorry, folks. There we go. Okay. So again, you see how I was talking about the side pods? You have that gully. So yeah, just, there's like a, it's like a bath, it looks like, like a, a riverbed. Bathtub. Yeah. yeah, that's a good example. That's a good example. So it just funnels air towards the rear of the car, back towards the suspension and everything. And back there, you've got the diffuser. And that's also obviously part of the floor as well. Now, this is probably not the floor that they'll be using come the first race of the season. This is probably just, you know, they're not going to show us everything, but this is probably pretty close to it. Um, and then the front as well. The front wing has also been redesigned at the same time uh, as well. And then a lot of this looks just like it, it, it's it's trying to stay on a stable platform where you have anti-dive and anti-lift. And that's something that the RB19 was just so good with. And what I mean by that is braking. You know, the front of the car dives forward because you have all of this momentum and force coming from behind. And that weight transfer has to go somewhere. So if you're braking, the weight transfer is going to head to the front of the car and if there's a way that you can control how much the car dives, so how much does the rear lift up and how much does the weight get transferred onto the front, if you can control that, that's a heck of a thing because then you can kind of control the whole weight balance throughout the entire cornering phase because the weight would then have to transfer to the rear of the car as you're starting to accelerate or pick up speed. And so, yeah, a lot of this stuff, Adam, is just a lot of these cars I think are just going to start converging with the rb19 and what it what what it did last season and, and and who can blame them the one thing i always have with uh a renault or an alpine whatever brand you want to call it uh is is the reliability going to be there right like the you know, as yeah, part of you know the the last fernando alonso season and then and then last year with esteban Ocon and and pierre gasly when they didn't run into each other at, i think it was the canadian grand prix uh, they were, you know, I think they were going for like a six, seven finish there, which would have been great for them, would have jumped them in the standings. You know, Alpine had ha has had a couple of really disappointing years based on where they think they thought they were going to be. Um, can they figure out the issues with the power unit itself? Can they keep themselves in the race for the entire 50 or 60 laps, depending on the track? Uh, because for me, um, they've always had the cornering. They've always had most of the speed that you need to, to compete, at least be the top of the midfield, but you never, ever see them um, not make unforced errors. That's been a thing mm -hmm. for a long, long time. Even when Ricardo was there, it's like uh, it's, it's an unforced error team, a team where you're like, why don't you have this sorted out? Bad pit stop here or there, bad strategy here or there, bad tire selection here or there. And I know that it's a bit of a complicated company behind the scenes. Like they are like, there's another factional politic, you know, they're run by a, you know, a state sponsored, you know, uh, uh, car company. So there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. But Tim, do you really think at some point that this team can can rise to its own expectations? It's going to be tough, Adam. I mean, I think you made a good point when you say, you know, so many cooks in the kitchen, too many cooks in the kitchen, because at the end of the day, it kind of just that's just what it feels like. And the same thing when it's when we take a look at how sort of Alpine uh, run their operation. You know, you've got a car manufacturing plant for the race car in the UK, and then you've got an engine manufacturing plant that's over in France. 
and that's for the power unit that goes into the race car. Now, ideally, you would like to have those two things as close as possible. You would like to have them on campus if you can do that. And the reason for for that is one, it's time with Formula One. Time is, is everything paramount. It's crucial. You need to get things done as fast as possible. That is even getting new parts to the car. On the other side of that as well, which adds another level to this, is the fact that you can have straight communication with your PU builders and your aerodynamicists and your you know composite, and they can all get together really quickly, have a quick conversation as to what are the diameters, what are the dimensions, and let's put see if we can fit this thing into the race car. Because sometimes what you'll get is you'll get miscommunication and mm-hmm. a car may be out of its window for how big it can handle an engine right and that that does happen in in f1 and the thing is is that when they put these cowlings on the back so when they put the engine cover on the back of the the race car it's like it's like glued to the engine right it's like mm-hmm. cling wrapped around this this engine Right. It's not like it's open and there's lots of air flowing through it and there's lots of room. There's no room. None. None whatsoever. The the cowling is literally sucked on top of the engine. And you have to make sure that like every millimeter is accounted for. And so the easiest way to get that done is to have everything under one roof and have everything on site and make it easy to communicate. And with Alpine, it's a little more difficult. Well, you've That's got a bit more of a challenge. Forget just England and France in terms of location. You've got an English and French language barrier yes. there too, right? Because like yeah. if you're – I mean I don't know why they have it. I know that there's a lot of expertise in England about you know race cars and there's a huge history. There's also a huge history in France. But it doesn't make sense to me, Tim, that they that they have that because – you know, from what you read sometimes, the English and the French teams don't really communicate all that well. Like they don't get yeah, along. Apparently. Yeah, apparently that's I've I've read I've read similar statements that say that that there isn't great communication between the two factories. And that is something that everyone is working towards to try and get there to be a little more harmony between both camps. Um, I just uh, I just think if you're going to if you're going to have a race team, you're going to own a race team, you, you've got to put everything under one roof. Mm-hmm. You got to have everything close to campus. I mean, look at, uh, so for McLaren is a great example. And, you know, we talk about their wind tunnel, you know, ad, ad nauseum on this podcast, but it's a great example of trying to get something under your own roof to help with time, consistency, and getting parts to the car. Instead of shipping something all the way out to Cologne out in Germany and then bringing it all the way back, now they've got something under their roof, which is going to help them tremendously in this 2024 season. Right. It's mm-hmm. going to be so crucial for them to have that. Look at Ferrari. Same sort of thing. Right. They've yeah. got everything under one under one roof. Like it's just yeah. makes more sense. And I think for Aston Martin, I think eventually that could be something that happens there, too. Could have everything under one roof with Honda coming in, coming, coming to the team in 2026. Can they build a factory, small little power unit factory for Honda on site. I think they have the room for it. Now, whether or not those conversations have happened with Aston Martin and Honda remains to be seen. But, you know, that's something that I think the team would, you know, greatly appreciate having on site just to make things that much more easier. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting thing, Adam. I mean, when you take a look at how these teams kind of come around and then 
you, you look at how it kind of boils down to that reliability factor. What do you and know about Alpine, Bruno Firmin? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Bruno Famin. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's all good. Bruno Famin. So he's he now the, by the way, the, uh, he, he's, he self-announced himself, which is as the, as the team principal, which yeah. is wild. Uh, don't think I've ever seen that before. But I've never seen that before, man. I mean, I've never seen that. Um, so for Bruno, Bruno Famine, so when Otmar Safnar got let go uh, just before the Belgian Grand Prix last last year, uh, Bruno Famine kind of came in as a bit of an interim team principal, but he was also running other parts of the Alpine Motorsports division. So he had a lot on his plate, this guy. He was doing a lot too. Now, him announcing himself as the team principal for this team, now is that that going to be a a good thing? I mean, I don't know. That's, I think it, I think it could be a bit of a challenge. You know, I, I still think they made a mistake by letting Otmar go. And I know they wanted to fast track everything. And I know that like what he was saying was, hey, this is going to take a few years, which it will. It's Formula One. It always does. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think they wanted to hear that. And they kind of brought somebody else in who could, you know, gave them what they wanted to hear. Now, whether or not they're going to be competitive this season, I mean, we'll know more in a few weeks time when we get to Bahrain. But yeah, I yeah. Know, and man. I mean, I really, think it might be a little difficult for them. You, you last year when Aston Martin had a great car to kick off the year, you uh, I remember texting back and forth with you like, watch out for Aston Martin. This is going to be crazy. I was like, no way. Like they were terrible last year. There's no way they make a jump like that. And now you look at them and you're like, that is solidly a mid-pack team. And if they finish any less than fifth, it's going to be disappointing. Um, uh, one thing I will say about Alpine is that both of those drivers are going to be racing their butts off this year because that Mercedes seat is going to be tantalizing for them. And I think obviously yeah, – the first, the you know, the first couple of names that come up, well, Fernando Alonso, yeah, I think he probably wants to stay at Aston Martin unless it was a crazy knock your socks off offer. Carlos Sainz, there's the connections with Sauber and and Audi that we think are going to happen. Both of the Sauber drivers are up after this year. In fact, most of the grid is up after this year. Um, so you know, Mercedes can do something bold. They're not going to put a young driver in there. Albon seems to be the outs or the, the inside favorite. And rightfully so he drove the wheels off that Williams car last year. It was amazing. Um, and he's also, you know, the connection with James Vowles and all the other things there. If you are Esteban Ocon and you've been counted out basically your entire career. And I think he's a lot better. I think, he as a driver is a lot better than his record or his points show. You saw, you know, you see what he did with that Force India car a few years ago. Um, I think he's a great driver. I think he makes his his brain farts per race are a little high, so like he needs to figure that out. Uh, but but Pierre Gasly, who again has has a lot of brain farts, another driver that has tantalizing skill. There's a reason he's an Alpine. There's a reason that these guys. Are there making as much money as they are? That's a very, very well-funded team, as dysfunctional as they are. You got to think they're both thinking, "Man, if I have a good year, I'm I got a shot at Mercedes, and I want that." Yeah, hundred percent, man. You make a great point with, uh, especially with Esteban, right? Not saying that you know Gasly is not worthy of a Mercedes seat. I think I think he is as well because I think Gasly's extremely talented. I just think it's because of Esteban's connections with Mercedes and with Total Wolf. Those are what are those connections? Very close. That's a very close relationship. That is, 
essentially Toto sort of saving Ale- you know Esteban's career, uh, allowing him to you know stay and and keep himself in Formula One in the sort of a test and reserve driver uh, type of a role, and then helping him uh, make that transition into Alpine. That was extremely important, and Toto was a uh, person behind the scenes who helped initiate some of that. I think that relationship is going to be crucial for Esteban as this season plays out because he's out of contract at the end of 2024. Mm -hmm. And Esteban's going to be looking for either an extension with Alpine or if he's performing well, then he's going to be taking a look at that seat at Mercedes. Yeah. 100%. I asked Alex Albin about this on Monday when I was speaking with him at the Williams launch and to paraphrase, it is definitely something he would look at no question, but at his moment, his focus was mainly on trying to get Williams back up the grid and see how competitive they could be for, for 2024. But you could just tell that that's, you know, that Mercedes seat would be something he would truly covet. It has to be when you're talking about a driver who was, you know, promoted into F1, promoted to the big team too early, let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And then almost spit out almost spit out the ass end of F1 and then managed to just cling on for dear life, managed to get himself into back into an F1 car mm-hmm. and a, a very difficult F1 car to drive, uh mind you. And then continue to pump in some really impressive performances last season. If he yep. can bring that level of driving back in 2024, I would argue he would probably be the favorite for that seat, Adam, when we get deep into this season. Well, and and Tim, you know, everybody counts Williams out because it's been a long time since they were a player. Like, I think it was like Toto Wolf was invested in the team the last time they were winning races. And Valtteri Bottas was this young rookie. And, you know, like he, people forget that, like, that's how long ago it's been. But this is a championship winning team in any other decade. Any other decade in Formula One, Williams were always a player. And... Yeah. Uh, and they were a very, very good team most of the time. This this last decade has been completely, uh, completely opposite of what the Williams brand was coming into this decade. And so, you know, what I'm curious about with Alex Albon is he is obviously Logan Sargent is there. Uh, the money is there behind Logan Sargent to keep him there as well. Like, let's be honest, his dad's a billionaire. Like, there's there's sponsor money there. There's, and I'm not saying he's a paid driver, but um, Alex Albon is clearly the number one and he's the leader. And if you are Alex Albon, you got a great relationship with James Vowles, who has a great relationship with Toto Wolf and, and, you know, the great, you know, the Mercedes partnership there. That's obvious. Part of me wonders, okay, so Mercedes, it might be a works team, but if Williams continues to climb, I'm the number one guy here. So yeah, great point. not, not great only point. like, and, and I'm squarely the number one, like if he goes to Mercedes and it doesn't work after a couple of years, he's gone, right? George yeah. is the number one at Mercedes and you got to take that from George. If you're Alex, mm-hmm. you're comfortable. They are building this car for you. This is for Alex Albon, Logan Sargent. It's nice that you're here, but we're, we're building this for Alex. And if we can just get it to turn, it goes fast. If we can get it to turn, we might be in the top three sometimes. 
right? We might even be, be on a podium sometimes. We might grab a pole position on a fast course like a Monza or a, a Red Bull ring. And, and you know, I, now, grabbing a pole position is aggressive for Williams at this point. But based on the change that we saw, 10th to 7th, that's an enormous jump. Enormous jump. If you can Huge. get this car, if it can shift better, if it can move side to side better, if you can corner a little bit harder, get a couple of tenths uh, back on those corners. I mean, I look at Albon and I go, man, would you leave that, Tim? And Tim, you're the driver here, so you tell me. Would you leave that kind of setup to take the risk Ooh. at Mercedes when you don't have the resume? Like, I understand Lewis leaving. He's got the resume. He's won championships. He's good. But, like, if they build this team around you and you go, and for whatever reason, Mercedes has a down year or you have a down year, ooh, it's, it's painful. You'll never get that back again. Yeah, that's a great point, man. I, I totally I, I agree with what you're saying. I think like as a as a driver, when I take a look at, you know, what's my future in the sport and where can I go to be competitive, but then also have a long lasting career. And mm-hmm. man, it's it's really tough because as a driver, you always want to go somewhere where you're going to be competitive and you're not really thinking about contracts and whatever, because in your mind, you're thinking that, Hey, I'm a, I'm going to go here. I'm going to win. I'm going to be fine because I'm going to be winning or I'm going to be successful. But then sometimes you show up and you just get smacked in the face. The car is just not very good. It's built for somebody else. And look at Ricardo with McLaren. Yeah, you know, your your back is really up against the wall at that at that point. And so if I'm gonna stay somewhere and I'm gonna stay at a place like like a Williams, and we'll use them because you know, I just came back from you know sitting down speaking face to face with, with James Vowles, and a big thing for them is just getting internally the factory up to code in terms of having the newest and best equipment and what James had to do to fight everybody, all the other teams to get his CapEx, So his capital expenditures raised so he could go and invest in new things. Like he was telling us a story. Now I don't know the name of the piece of equipment, but essentially it helps them build parts for the car And this piece of equipment that's at Williams currently. He's like, it's as long as a motorhome. Wow. Okay? It's massive. He's like, now, nowadays, the ones that we were working with at Mercedes, it's the size of your dinner table. Wow. So this is old. So this is this is what we're talking about when it comes to the only thing really holding Williams back, the team itself, is is old equipment. Mm-hmm. They've got a great team principle in place. I really think that James is going to do a great job at that team. This will be his second full year at the team. His first year is pretty remarkable. Everybody there loves the guy. They all work hard for him. He works hard. There are stories of of him basically telling people who work in like the Aero factory and trying to get a floor made for last year's car, being like, we're going to get this floor to Canada. And the guys are telling him, no, no chance. And he's like, we're going to get this floor to Canada. And I'm going to stay here late at night and work w- alongside with you so we can get this floor to Canada. That's the team principle that they've got. And that's a true story. I, it, Adam, I think 
for this team, Williams, the faster they can get new equipment coming into the door, the faster the car is going to be on the track. And I think for this season coming up, man, I think they're going to be a good team. They're, I'm not saying they're, they're going to get podiums, but I think they're going to be good. It's a team with legitimate ambitions. Like I look at Haas and I go, that's not a team with legitimate ambitions. You know, they might be no. building for 26, but I don't, no one, you know, and if you look at Williams from two, three years ago, you know, at the end of the Williams family, the, the beginning of the Dorleton Capital purchase, that was a team with not legitimate ambitions, right? It felt like transition, build for something else, years away, blah, 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 right? Um, and, and the jump from 10th to 7th is a great jump. But if they can finish fifth this year, that's a bigger Ooh, jump. That's and that's, this is what I'm saying, right? Like it, when you, you know, when you drag yourself out of the basement, it's really hard to do, but the jumps become harder and harder the further up you move because now you're, now you're up against Alpine. Now you're up against Aston Martin. Now you're up against, in theory, McLaren. Uh, although I think McLaren's going to be faster this year than they were to start last year, which would put them much higher. Um, so, you know, then you're then you're into like the true mid pack, right? And can you compete with the Aston Martins? Can you compete with the Alpines on a week in week out basis? And do you have the driver lineup to to actually go and take that? And I think you know the the company that owns them the whole the whole reason they own them is because it's an investment, right? They want to make money, and it's not the year over year money that they want to make. They want to make asset value, so they don't care if Williams is profitable so much as they care that Williams doesn't lose a, a crazy amount of money and the brand name is worth more along with everybody else at the end of the year, right? That's what they're they're in this for. They sold and it. They're investing. Right? They're invest and they're investing though, Adam. Like that's and, it's that's a, such an important thing. Well and that's great. And that's the thing. And I think that that really comes down to James. And like James to me, when you look at what Toto Wolf was at Williams and then what he was when he, you know, he brought in, you know, uh, took over at Mercedes, brought in Rosberg, uh, brought in Schu uh, Schumacher was there before him, I think, right? Did he bring in Where, Schumacher? At, uh, no, at Williams? At Mercedes, Mercedes. Mercedes, yeah. uh, Schumacher. Schumacher was there before him, right? Before, okay, so when they turned to Mercedes for drivers, Schumacher and Vals was working there. When they were brawn. Right. So long time. Right. So, so my, I, I think my thinking is, you know, Toto, Christian, that era of Otmar, those were the big next team principles, right? Even, um, yeah. uh, even Mattia Bonotto, Fred Vasseur, those guys were all in the 2008, 2009. They were coming out of GP2, GP3. They're coming in. I think we're starting to see the next great generation of, of young team principals and James is the head of that. And so I if so. I, I don't man, like Tim, I, I, I'm not like <laughs> you'd, you'd listen to me and think that I was a Williams fan. I'm just a fan of what James Vowles has done there. Like I, I, I'm a McLaren guy through and through, but I am, I have a real soft spot for Williams because <laughs> I love a come from behind story. Who doesn't? And I, and I, again, it goes back to, we're talking about the Mercedes extra seat. Um, Albon, has got if he if he performs this year, let's say they get one podium, right? He finishes third. It's rainy. Like there's some sort of weird thing that he lucks in, and like if you're him, are you not like not only am I the number one driver at this team, I'm worth more to this team than I am at Mercedes. Like let's say Mercedes would pay you 25 million a year. Well, you're probably worth 30 or 35 million at Williams. 
right? Because you lose 100%. that driver. Who do you have? I mean, that's the thing. Like you don't like you've got some young drivers in your pipeline, but to to get and it was interesting because I was actually talking to you know Logan um, mm-hmm. and Alex both about like you know being a rookie and coming into F one and you know now we take a look at these drivers like Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen and they're getting these huge extensions something that you know they never thought possible back in their Formula Two days of a driver getting an extension that long. Mm-hmm. And now they're sitting there saying that that's a part of this new sort of breed and um, age of drivers that's starting to come into Formula One and teams really respecting the fact and holding on to the talent for as long as they can so they can build the team and build the car around their star drivers. Yes. If you just have a rookie just show up in Formula One, that is a hell of a way you're setting yourself back. And it sucks for younger drivers who bust their ass in Formula 2 to try and break into Formula 1. And Mm -hmm. F1 teams are like, we need experienced drivers who are in that, you know, 22 to 30 range, you know, because that's like we're going to be able to, that's going to be our window to mold and to make sure that they're going to have that experience with the younger drivers that are just coming in. So it doesn't make sense to go and, you know, let Alex like walk down to Mercedes. I mean, that offer would have to be pretty stellar. And then Williams is going to have to counter it because if I'm James Valls, I'm holding on to Alex Albert yeah. for dear life. I just yeah. would. I honestly would. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, would. I think James Valls' results are directly related to Alex Albon. And so, you know, at least on the track and what does it say? You know, I, I know Piastri had a really good start this year. He also had a great car, right? He had a great car towards the end. Terrible at the beginning. We all get it. Um, Piastri might be a once in a generation guy who can step in and make, be a factor and yes. finish second and third and fourth. Yes. Like that is yep. usually not the case. Even George Russell, you look at, he was good at Williams, right? Like the T, the car was terrible, yep. but he, oh, yeah. he put in great yeah. ra- race results. Uh, Latifi pushed him a little harder, I think, than people give Latifi credit for. But it took yes. George doing some stupid things, like trying to t- overtake Valtteri Botas in that one spot to get to the maturity level where he's ready for a Mercedes. And I feel like I, I don't think Williams wants to go through that with two drivers. I just don't No, No, so, I, I anyway. agree with you. I, I wouldn't, yeah, no, I agree with you, man. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't, if I'm James Viles, I wouldn't let Alex walk away. And then I would spend my time, you know, making sure that I'm putting as much effort into Logan as I can, because, you know, People, you know, people crap on Logan a lot, but there is a really good racing driver in there. There really is. And I, I think that yeah. the more experience he gets, the more experience he gets, the the better he's going to get. And I think just in terms of, and I'm not making excuses for Logan here, but last season he was getting old parts thrown onto the car. Like he wasn't even getting the new stuff that Alex was getting. So there was that disadvantage. And then factor on top of all of that, He's a rookie and he's got to come in and learn. And he took his lumps for sure the second year. So this year that he's entering, this is a big year for him. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. If, he's if he do can well do here. so what, what can he do with some confidence? You know, Logan Sargent, like, like, listen, exactly. pay drivers are, yeah. are a thing that they're becoming a thing of the past in formula one. There's just too many, um, the, the teams are making money now, right? Like they don't need a lot of these teams don't need that, but, um, I look at Logan Sargent and I think, okay, we know he's a good driver. 
We know there's there's capabilities there. We know now that Williams will probably have more money to spend because they had great results. So maybe he doesn't get the older parts. How if if Logan Sargent finishes, let's say his first five races are like 12th, 9th, 11th, 10th and like an eighth. OK, in no particular order. Is he not absolutely flying at that point? I would like say so. I would say that's extremely competitive. That's a competitive guy, right? That gets I, you some points. So, so yeah. there's, uh, to me, like, you know, you get in, like, you saw what happened with Piastri when he had a little bit of confidence. Man, mm-hmm. Logan Sargent is a, is a bit more tantalizing than people give him credit for. I think so. Um, even how he found out, like, he, so at the end of Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, so last year, he told me it was like two days after that he found out that he was going to be, back in formula one for 2024 so i mean that would suck to like go through the entire year not knowing what your future looks like and -hmm. if you're even going to be a race car driver in 2024 which is a month which at that point was less than a month away so it's just like that is extremely unnerving and i think if you know he i think for him it's got to be learn as much as possible, get off on the right foot, be consistent, be strong with what you're doing, and just chip away at it. And so by the time you get mid-season, the team is questioning whether or not to give you a longer-term deal. Yeah. You, you want to push them to make them question that. And that's what Logan has to do. He's got to do that. So, Tim, him. tell me this. You know, uh, I know we've got sidetracked here, but that's what podcasting yeah, yeah, for. It's great. Um, <laughs> before we wrap, I want to do a little bit on we gotta Andretti. We got to do Andretti. Gold. Yeah, we got to yeah. talk about we gotta, Andretti. We get like, and really, I mean, the, the story's been sort of out there and so many stories have superseded it. Like the Lewis Hamilton news just knocked it right off the the top here. But But for anybody that is just catching up on the Andretti thing, obviously the Formula One teams uh, said no. Um, uh, which we all know there was some sort of note about an email that the Formula One team said that they sent and the Andretti team says we didn't get it or ended up in our junk folder or something. There was an invitation. I want to talk about the significance of that. And I also want to talk about the significance of the FIA statement immediately after the Andretti conversation because the FIA said we've noted this and we're going to revisit. So let's talk about the lost email, why that's a big deal. And then let's talk about the FIA's role in this because, Tim, I don't think this Andretti conversation is over by any stretch and it shouldn't be. It is a very complex uh, conversation and like there's so much that sort of goes into all of it, Adam. I've made a couple, made a couple notes just so folks would have a have a reference so if we were to go back a uh, few years you know Mohammed Ben Soleim who's the president of the FIA uh, opened up what's called a um, oh gosh it is called an expression of interest so essentially if you think you can put together a Formula One team bring it in and uh, have everything capable and ready to go, we'll take a look at you for a possibility of getting an 11th and a 12th team onto the grid. Technically, uh, there is room for 26 cars, Mm -hmm. not in every paddock, but 
there is room for 26 cars. And this is the FIA and Muhammad bin Suleyam in another another topic altogether mm-hmm. of just, I think, showing and asserting the FIA as the custodians of the sport, you know, just the ones who look after everything. And, you know, that's a separate sort of argument and debate and internal politics is sort of bubbling under the under the surface between F1 and the FIA. So he opens up this expression of interest thing. Andretti obviously puts in their submission. The FIA do their due, due, due diligence, if I can speak properly, and essentially grants you know, Andretti allowance, basically saying you're approved to come onto the grid with an 11th team. But F1, there's a commercial, uh, are the commercial rights holders, obviously, but there is the commercial aspect to all of it. And that is something that they need to talk to Formula One about. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird because in the statement that we got on January 31st, the one that F1 sent to me, you know, there are, there are a few general lines from this statement that, you know, I, I kind of question. One of them is 0.8, quote, our assessment process has established that the presence of an 11th team would not in and of itself provide value to the championship, close quote. That's essentially saying that having Andretti here is not going to provide any value to our championship. So you're telling me that the Andretti name, there is no value in, in the Andretti name i mean i and, and, you that right now like yeah i mean how many how many f1 championships did did mario andretti win yeah he won it's like two or three f1 championship i mean let's look it up i mean like for like that's any that's andretti's any for the andretti name is legendary in like in motorsports legendary yes. right like both father and son have won championships, have won massive races, and are sort of a that staple sports name in America, right? Mm-hmm. And especially motorsports. I mean I mean like Mer- like Michael Andretti is huge in, in Canada just because of his dominance at the Toronto Indy. Like mm-hmm. that guy won that race like it was nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think for I think for for the name itself, it brings a crap ton of value. You've got Mario Andretti, who's won a Formula One championship, mm-hmm. IndyCar, raced in Champ Car, um, Indy five hundred, raced in that. I mean, like they're they've been all over that sport. They've been all over other sports now. They're getting in they're in Formula E, Extreme E. Uh I mean, the list goes on. I, I also want to say, Tim. It, this is a real American team. Like Haas tried to build themselves as that, but it hasn't really worked out, especially wearing the Russian colors a couple years ago. Um, and I know that was for sponsorship reasons, but all the same. Like you've got Cadillac, great name. You've got Andretti, great name. And you've got a sport that's owned by Liberty Media, which is uh, an American company. I, I listen to me. This comes down to the anti-dilution fee. To me, this comes down to we want more money than that. And if you're Liberty Media, you need an American team that's competitive. Haas is just not going to be competitive unless Gene somehow changes his view on things uh, and the way he wants a car to be done. Um, so you gotta 
you got to bring more teams in. And I think you got to bring the next two teams should be American teams. It should be Andretti plus whoever else, right? For the, to really reach the American audience, you need an American team. You need the 400 million people that live in the United States to get behind it. Don't you? Mm hmm. Yep. And, and so 100% man, like, and so if the cost if is, right, if, the co if it's 300 million to get in and they're saying, listen, franchise values have skyrocketed in this sport. When we wrote it, 300 million was a lot. Now it's not. Now McLaren's at 750. Mercedes is at a million. Ferrari's at, what do they speculate? 7 billion the other day with Lewis Hamilton coming aboard. Fine. It's a billion dollars. They can find that. NHL franchise, so billion dollars. Formula One franchise, billion dollars. Fine. Huh. It's money. So it's in interesting Interesting that you said. So I can explain the the anti-dilution to those who may not know what we're, what we're talking about. So if you go back to 2020, you know, Formula One, because of the pandemic, is sort of just a lot of teams just clinging to life. Like we would have probably could have lost at least two Formula One teams. And so... Every F1 team has to sign up to what's called a Concord Agreement. Inside that Concord Agreement are commercial things that everyone needs to adhere to. Um, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's in it as well, uh, making sure that you're going to be on the grid. You have to have a team in there, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the important things that was in there was called a, was for an anti-dilution fee. So in case a new team were to come into Formula One, that fee was $200 million. Mm -hmm. So... When we look at when Andretti got denied, Andretti got denied for 2025, 2026, and I think if they're able to convince Cadillac to be a you know OEM coming into Formula One, building engines, be a works team, you know then 2028 would be in the cards because that's what Cadillac had put out in their statement saying that. 2028 was a year that they wanted to build an engine for Formula One. But again, no firm action taken there. But the anti-dilution fee is important because it adds to the team's total prize fund. So the constructors from first to 10th place, there's a payout at the end of the year. First place gets the most, 10th place, 10th place gets the least. You bring in an 11th team, you're going to water that pie down. $200 million is not going to cut it anymore because of the amount of money that F1 generates, it brings in, the value of the sport has gone up. So this Concord agreement, it ends at the end of 2025, which means a new one needs to be put in place for 2026. I guarantee you the anti-dilution fee for 2026 is going to be like 2X or 3X, whatever it's going to be. It's going to be, like you said, close to a billion dollars probably. And look, that's fine. I get it. But... If that's the direction you're headed in, why would you deny them for 2026? Yeah. Don't understand that one. I don't think this one's over, Tim. So we'll leave it Definitely at that. But I do think this is not over. And I think Andretti is going to be, I'm sure by the end of this year, uh, we're, we're pretty close to an Andretti Formula One marriage. It's going to happen. Well, I hope so, man. Like I, I think like F1 needs another team for sure. And I, I, it would be a shame if they don't get on, to be honest with you. I think they'd really be shooting themselves in the foot because of a lot of the things that you said when it comes to like the American audience. Mm -hmm. The American audience would love to see Andretti 
on the start finish line. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I hope it happens while Mario's still able to enjoy it because I think he deserves it more than anybody. 100%. Adam, thanks very much for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. You've been watching Nailing. Well, you've also been listening to Nailing the Apex. If you want more <laughs> past episodes, you can get them on YouTube. You can also listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tim Haraney. You can get me on social media at Tim Haraney. We'll be back next week with more NTA. Talk to you all later.